Coming to you from San Mateo, California, this is Stories from the Sales Floor, the podcast that connects you with crushers of quotas, barons of the bottom line, and revenue-generating royalty. Here are your hosts, Ben Sardella, co-founder and CRO at Datanize, and Brandon Redlinger, head of growth at Persist IQ. Welcome to today's show. As usual, I'm Brandon Redlinger. And I am Benjamin Sardella. <laughs> Benjamin, huh? <laughs> we're getting we're getting serious. Today. I know we are. All right. This is important <laughs> yeah. stuff here. T- today's show is all about those moments um, that we have in life that really change us forever. Yeah, we're not talking about the day you became a parent or you just proposed to your girlfriend. Congratulations, Brandon. Oh, thank you, From, thank huh? you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those moments that change us forever. Uh, but we are talking about those turning points in your career that changed the way you sell. Yeah, we asked our guests today, um, what what was that moment that really just transformed the way you sell? So it could be a particularly difficult challenge or a chance encounter with someone special or advice that just kind of blew your mind. So. Ben, I guess the first question goes to you. What was that moment for you that really just kind of changed the way you sell? Yeah, so back in 2007-2008 range, I took over my first uh, director role, which was for a company called Sabrix. And uh, I had the opportunity to kind of wipe out the team there and rebuild the sales team for a new uh, for a new managed service business. So there was an enterprise component of this business, the traditional install tech. Uh, it was a tax service type of software that plugged into large enterprise applications like Oracle and SAP. But the company had spun off a startup within a startup, and I helped run that. And, uh, and so I had, uh, hired a whole new team, and, and then 2008 hit. And while they say there's only you know, a couple sure things in life, death and taxes. Uh, you know, when that hit, the tax industry in the software space was somewhat shielded, but we did still have to let go of some people, unfortunately. And we were struggling to uh, to sell. We Our pipeline started to dry up a little bit because budgets started to dry up. Uh, and while we were still selling, we weren't selling the, the larger deals with the more add-ons and everything that we had previously done. And so we really had to take a look at the business, at the pipeline, at the way we were selling and change everything at that point to to accommodate what was happening externally. And I there we had hired a new VP of sales for the company and and his name was Pat and he had he had uh, introduced me to a book written by uh, Jeff Kozer called uh, Selling to Zebras. So Selling to Zebras, in my opinion, is one of the basis for this whole account-based uh, model that's now you know taken off in our industry as of late. And so what we did back in 2008 as a result was that we stopped trying to sell to every single company that we thought might be able to use our services. And we really went to a named account approach. We really started to focus on which customers of ours were getting the highest level of value from us and then focusing specifically on those customers. And so we completely shifted into an account-based model uh, nine years ago. So for all those that think account-based is new, it's it was 
it was there far bef- before I ever started doing this. But um, you know, certainly, certainly gaining a lot of traction nowadays. But this really helped me change the way I sold, and then since then have really incorporated a lot of those values in the way I build our my sales teams and our sales processes uh, moving forward. That's great. I that's a new one that I have to look up. Selling to zebras. Selling to zebras. Yeah, and um, you know the cool thing was we. We had a cup. We had about a quarter, quarter and a half where things were really hard. We weren't hitting our numbers, but once we started to see the impact, and every single conversation we had was just meaningful, which was awesome. Although our total pipeline was probably cut down to maybe twenty percent of what it was before, our close rate went up extremely high, and so we were really able to start hitting our numbers again. And then eventually, within a year and a half, we actually sold the company for $134 million, I believe, and uh, to Thomson Reuters. So it was a great exit we ended up having. And I think you know, putting that process in place was certainly instrumental in us riding out the tough wave and then, and then coming out the other side with an exit that was successful. Yeah, that's, that's great. Account-based sales definitely is the new hot thing. And I'm currently reading a book, um, Whale Hunting, there you uh, go. I wonder. I wonder what's that? Zebras, whales. Yeah. Cheetahs next, or what, what do you think? Yeah. What, well, what the we reason why with? they called it selling the zebras is <laughs> it's an interesting concept. The reason why they called it selling the zebras is because if you look in the jungle, there's tons of animals, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no confusing what a zebra is. Ah. When you look at that zebra, you know exactly what it is. So when you're thinking about your perfect prospect, the one that's gonna sit right there as the crown jewel inside your total addressable market that's the type of customer or prospect you want to go after. And so you, it's no confusion of which mm. one that is. Yeah, that's, that, that's a great uh, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing, Ben. All I right. always thought you were just born this good at selling. No, no, I, I, I had to uh, get lucky <laughs> along the way. There you go. Well, right. Yeah, let's, let's dive into our first guest. Who's first? So Dave Stein's up. He's a well-known sales coach and co-author of Beyond the Sales Process. Uh, get your copy right now on Amazon.com. Yeah, and Dave recalls two people who really shifted the way he sells, and one of which is Mr. Motivation himself, Tony Robbins. So let's take a listen. Yeah, so there were two. Uh, the, the first one uh, it goes to somebody I know he's helped uh, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, and it's, uh, it's Tony Robbins. I went to a Tony Robbins session uh, on the Navy Pier in Chicago uh, way back in the mid-90s. It might have even been the early 90s when I was still working in the corporate world. And uh, uh, Tony allowed me to convince myself. Now, notice the way I worded that. He didn't convince me, but allowed me to convince myself that I could completely change my business persona, uh, that perhaps working in if corporations wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, there was really no limit as far as my personal, uh, the things I could achieve. But more specifically, I was focused on how much money I could earn. Uh, now, I'm not a guy typically driven by money. There are other things uh, much more meaningful. But I just felt uh, stymied and constrained working uh, in a large corporation where people who delivered uh, half the value that I did, I knew they were making more money. It just drove me, drove me kind of crazy. So that was it. So Tony, you know, the, this breakthrough philosophy and attitude, uh, I wound up uh, walking on hot coals. I wound up jumping out of airplanes. I wound up doing a bunch of things because, uh, you know, Tony Robbins uh, was able to allow me to convince myself that there were, there were no real limitations. He, he and, tends to do that with people. He's, he's good at that. He's great at that. He's great. He's absolutely great. Um, and then the other person, 
uh, whose name I'm delighted to mention. His name is Bruce Bond. He wouldn't buy, have any idea that I was talking about him now. He's a, a vice president, maybe a senior vice president at Gartner, the world's largest IT research and advisory firm. Uh, Bruce worked for me. Uh, I was a VP of operations in a software company back in the uh, uh, late 80s and early 90s, and Bruce worked for me as director of operations. And I learned about integrity. I was somebody who, you know, generally told, well, I always told kind of the truth, but I was willing to leave things out and shade things. And I don't want to say be manipulative, but, but, but. But certainly do things so that they they really came out uh, serving me more first and and clients or customers and whoever else second. And Bruce has has more integrity than any person I've ever met. And having him work for me, I learned so much from this guy that helped my sales career uh, going forward. Uh, now I didn't do any direct selling at that point until I became a consultant, and then I had to sell and deliver my own services. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize about sales consultants. You know, they say, well, you know, you don't sell. Of course we sell. <laughs> Who thinks <laughs> who's going to go out there and sell our stuff for us? But but this integrity idea, not idea, but but the concept of integrity and living it and breathing it and using it in your everyday life, I, I really got from Bruce more than any other single source. And that stayed with me ever since. Now it's it's 25 years and uh, uh, I, I think it's it's just made an incredible difference in terms of, of my standing in my community, uh, the reputation I have, the trust that people have in me and what I do, uh, the commitments that I make and deliver on. And so uh, Tony Robbins and Bruce Bond, those are the two uh, the two folks that uh, that that had I think the most influence on my professional career. So if you don't know Tony Robbins, you should definitely fix that. There's a, a new great documentary out on Netflix called "I Am Not Your Guru." So yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list. Is it good? It, it's really good. I awesome. enjoyed it. I'm looking forward it. to it. He was phenomenal at Dreamforce a while back. I think he's coming this year again too. So uh, I know he's buddy buddy with uh, Mr. Benioff. So yeah, there you go. He changes lives. I think they both change lives. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So next up, we got the global head of B2B social sales execution at the Creation Agency, Jack Kozakowski. Yep, and Jack was selling marketing automation to a CMO at Acton, but really had no idea what he was selling and what his buyer's life was even like. And that CMO called him out on it. Yeah, and Jack decided he had to learn more about his buyers and he committed himself to knowing them better than they know themselves. I was selling um, to a CMO at Acton when I'd first started. And, I, and keep in mind, I was selling marketing automation. And you guys know that like, I came from sales. I had no marketing experience. Selling marketing automation is like the most insane thing ever. Like, there's, to, to explain to a CMO that's been doing it his whole life how he should be using a technology that costs a ton of money to do a thousand different things that you don't even know what they really do is pretty tough, right? Um, and I remember a CMO, there was a CMO that told me one day, he said, Jack, you are one heck of a salesman. But he said, you don't know what my day is like. You don't, you, I can tell you've never lived a day in a marketer's shoes. And he goes, and it's really, really tough for me to buy from you because you're, you know, I'm giving you all the right answers and you're not understanding and you're not able to really, in a deep way, understand how to fix my pains, right? And I thought to myself, you know what? He's right. The next day is when I started to use social media because I wanted, and when I say social media, I mean at a deep level from 
more than just you know a sales perspective. I started to do some marketing things and really try to understand what a CMO goes through, what's a VP of marketing go through. And I started to treat my personal brand like it was an actual brand. And there was only one purpose for that, is so that I knew what my buyer's day was like because I, that was the only way I was going to be able to have those high-level conversations and close those bigger deals and you know, get in those more high-level conversations. From that day forward, that guy changed my life because not only did my revenue go up, but I, you know, I went from a regional sales manager to you know, part equity owner in a, in a, in a you know, million, multi-million dollar agency to you know, a vice president role is technically my role. Because I listened to that guy's advice, I started to really understand it. I got passionate about it. And it was no more, it was not because I wanted to become a marketer, it was because I wanted to know my buyer better than my buyer knew themselves. And our next guest today is Deb Calvert, and she is the president of People First Productivity Solutions and an instructor of sales development at UC Berkeley Extension. And Deb remembers the moment when she learned authenticity can't be faked, even with solid sales scripts. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've been in sales, like I said, my whole life, but my first real job, if you will, my first paying job in sales that was a full-time nine to five kind of job, it was uh, as an appointment setter in a phone center. And it was highly scripted. In fact, we could not deviate from the script. It was, it was really buttoned down, which is probably to this day why I really resist selling scripts. And I, I was there for only a few days. I quit after on like my third day, I think it was, I had three calls in a row where I could tell the person on the other end of the phone was giving me some, some cues, uh, you know, motion that was obviously in the conversation, a, a different direction that they wanted to go, uh, you know, just a human to human something that, that the opportunity was there. And I was trying to be good and follow the script and doing that made me feel so cold and robotic and and I hated it. It just, you know, I, I, it upset me so much. I was like physically affected by it and I just quit. Mm. And so I don't approach sales with scripts and, and robo stuff. I understand the purpose of them and I think they're great for role plays and for people who are new. But anytime a company tells you to do that to the exclusion of being human, I, I just wholeheartedly disagree. Yeah, so personally, I'm not a huge fan of scripts at least the ones that sit on a rep's desk and they're sort of reading word from word uh, from it. It's certainly helpful when you're starting to train folks on a script and things that they can read and start to become familiar with the keywords. But, um, But certainly, you know, once they've graduated past that training phase, there should just be a simple outline and they should know all the talking points, you know, memorized from there. Exactly, talking points that then let them kind of adapt their own style, their own voice. Absolutely. So, well, great. Well, keeping the ball rolling, we've got Michael Padone, an inside sales guru and master of the sales call over at salesbuzz.com. <laughs> and Michael had an epiphany when he was working as a straight commission sales rep, and he wasn't going to hit quota, uh, so he was going to go home at the end of the month uh, without the money that he needed to take care of his family. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. I think some of us have all felt that way, <laughs> especially when you have families. Uh, so he definitely knew, you know, at that point he had to make some changes and analyze what was going on. 
So here's Michael. Let's hear it. Yeah, I got tired of uh, being rejected by gatekeepers and and always hearing, you know, no thanks, not interested. We're all set. That that's a specific moment when when you, you know when you have. When you're a straight commission sales rep, like I've been my entire adult working life, and I know there's not a lot of them out there today, but that that's my background, a straight commission sales rep. And, you know, and you got a family to feed and, and it's like Thursday and you got one day left to try to make your quarter. You're going to come home with with no paycheck. That that's a specific moment for me that that really happens. Like, man, something's got to change. I got to you know, I had two choices, really. It was either, you know, blame the leads, blame the industry, blame the economy, blame our pricing, blame my manager, you know, all that stuff. Because there's plenty of my coworkers who are willing to do that. Or I could go, you know, there's a couple of guys in this room that are really crushing it. So they must be doing something right. I must need to make some changes. And and so that was a specific moment that really, you know, I chose that path. And, and then, you know, the, the rest is history. Great. So what did, what did you do um, in particular to change? Did, would, did you go out and take some courses, read some books, find a mentor? What? Um, so, you know, I, I think you, you, you should be doing all of that, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and I know there's a lot of sales reps that, that don't, but it, it, doing all that, I was sure I was doing all that, but what, what it really was is none of that stuff was still working really, right? So what I did was I just said, I just stopped and I said, oh, so why am I getting these these objections. See, a lot of times, all the training and books and seminars and, and things of that nature, they're, they're so reactive. They're like, well, if the prospect says this, now you come back with this. And, y- you know, it's like you're arm wrestling all the time. And it's very frustrating. It's very exhausting, right? And, and burnout, it, it, it just it just accelerates your burnout rate. So, uh, so what I did was I just hit the pause button. I'm going, why am I getting this objection? What, what if I got in front of this? You know, when the gatekeeper is responding this way, you know, what can I say differently ahead of time to have a better result? If I'm not getting callbacks, what could I say differently to get them to call back? If, if when I do get the decision maker on the phone and, and instead of hearing, you know, that no thanks, aren't sure we're all set or, you know, we already have somebody that, that, you know, that does something similar to that. You know, what can I do differently ahead of time to, to, to go to that next step? And, and that's really what it is. And so what I did is, is I just reworked the entire sales process to have a step-by-step formula where I knew that if I followed this path and I didn't skip any steps, that the majority of the time, first of all, like 90% of my objections would go away and the, and the remaining 10%, then that's fine because that's where the gold is, right? You solve these and we have a deal. It wasn't like blow-offs or stalls. So, so that's really what I did is, is I, I reworked it that way. And ever since I started doing that, I just been, you know, every, every week, every month, every, every year, wherever I was working, I was, I was really in the top 10% of, of, of uh, the companies I was at. And then eventually I went off and started my own business. Uh, not, not the sales buzz that I have now. It was one prior to that. Uh, as, as my own individual entrepreneur, started a company in marketing, uh, internet marketing, grew it, sold it, and then eventually I started SalesBuzz so I could actually give back and show other sales reps how, uh, how it's, it, it's supposed to be done. And finally, we have Tibor Shanto. He is the Chief Sales Officer at Renbor Sales Solutions and the co-author, along with our buddy Craig Elias, of Shift. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing book. It's a great book. Craig's yeah. amazing. Tibor's great. Um, so yeah, so you know, in this case, while a lot of people are knocking sales training sessions, a lot of times, uh, you know, Tibor says he credits two specific sessions that really changed his career. He learned to forget his view of the world and jump into the mind of his buyer and his buyer's business, which of course 
leads to a lot of success and anytime I've been able to accomplish that feat. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there was. And I would say that it wasn't an immediate event, but I think it was a cumulative, you know, incremental things that built up. And I would say it was between two training sessions that my employer at the time uh, provided us uh, in the mid-90s. So they'll know who I'm talking about right away. Um, but the first year, and it was, wasn't was so much the training that caused this, I guess, epiphany or, or, or momentary clarity of vision, but more the reaction among my peers. Um, so the first year, they brought in this very capable fellow from New York who gave us a very good but fairly standard, so I don't mean to minimize it, I'm just describing it, fairly standard solution sales program. So, you know, what's the pain, what's the need, what's the solution, and then, you know, present what you do, what your company does, you know, as, for lack of a better expression, the aspirin that's going to get rid of their immediate pain. Um, and, you know, that was interesting because we were doing some new things at the time. If you think back to the mid-90s, it was the beginning of what we refer to as the dot-com boom and a lot of changes and you know, a lot of talk about bricks and mortar versus online and that whole thing. So there was a lot of interesting ways to apply what was at the time a fairly conventional solution selling program. Um, the following year, they came back with a program that I think is still out there, so I'm not going to name it specifically, but they put a lot of emphasis on the business side of things, on the buyer side of it. And I think a lot of people had difficulty with it because it required, A, it was formulaic, so you had to work formulas, but B, it really required you to abandon your view of the world and step into the customer's view of the world. And the exercises that we did around that, to me, was sort of liberating because I was never a product guy, so it was easier for me to talk about business and it forced me to learn a number of things. But it was interesting for me, one exercise in particular, where one of my peers could just not abandon the product. And even though the questions that they were being asked were fairly business oriented, it was always coming back to the product. And I think that's more than any other time that it crystallized in my mind that really I'm not that important to the whole thing. It's what their business outlooks and objectives and impacts that I could deliver to those that are going to make me successful with customers. It doesn't matter what my product is or what solution I pretend to have. It's got to make sense from their business point of view as opposed to my quota point of view. Quota is still important, don't get me wrong, but it's a lot easier to get quota if you look at it from their business lenses as opposed to strictly a pain and solution lens. And that wraps up another show for us today. You have been listening to Stories from the Sales Floor. And a special thanks to our guests today, Dave Stein, Jack Kosakowski, Deb Calvert, Mike Padone, and Tibor Shanto. And a special thanks to our executive producer, uh, Joey Vignolo. Joe Vignolo. Joey usually go, We call him Joey V around here. Uh, also a happy birthday. This was his birthday this week. So uh, we're lucky to have him at DataNize and we're certainly grateful for all the wonderful work he's done to make this podcast happen. And be sure to tune in next week when we ask our guests about who their sales superhero is. Da, 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 da. Follow us on Twitter at SFTSF Podcast. And for more content and info on how to connect with our guests, head over to salesfloorstories.com. And if you like what you've heard today... Head on over to iTunes and hit subscribe. And if you really like what you've heard, go ahead and leave a review. It'll help Ben's ego. Also, check out our services. Visit datanize.com to find the perfect prospects at the right time. 
And to be more effective at following up with those prospects, check out PersistIQ.com. I'm Brandon Redlinger. And I'm Ben Sardella. We'll see you next time on Stories from the Sales Floor. And don't forget, share my shit. <laughs>